Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning. Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Amen. It's good to have you back. I hope you had a great Christmas. We're still kind of celebrating with my family. I have some family in town, but it is good to see you. We've been kind of light the last few weekends, so it's good to see more people back. Um, if you've been joining us over the last four weeks, you'll see up on the screen, we had our Advent study, God with us. And I plan to preach Colossians 1.16 that uh, Cap just read for our call to worship. But John encouraged me to continue to look at this story as we've centered around these songs that we see in the first part of Luke. And we've walked through Mary's song and Zachariah's song, the song of the angels the last few weeks. And so we wanted to continue in that, or I did as I, I, I continued to look at Luke 2. But most Christmas studies or even Advent studies, they'll end with Luke 2, verse 20. And that is the culmination of these angels and this epic story that leads us to the birth of Christ. But if you look at verse 21, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 2, verse 21, even with the Christmas holiday behind us, this story continues. And it's a really beautiful thing that we'll be celebrating for eternity, that we are part of this story. So I want to read this verse that typically gets skipped over or we just kind of end pretty hardly or harshly in 20. But 21 says this, it's the confirmation of the Christmas story. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so verse 21 is so key to everything that we just walked through for Advent and Christmas. Uh, it was everything that was prophesied, even from the Old Testament, what the angels come declaring about this Savior. It hinges on who he is and what his name will be. And so everything that God has said up until this point passes or it comes to pass. In these first two chapters of Luke, and the birth of Christ found by the shepherds, and he is wrapped in, in clothes, lying in a manger. And the answer to every need of man, the hope of every nation from eternity past was here, and his name was Jesus, right? That's what we just walked through. But the beauty in this is that this is documented inside and outside of the church. So by pagan historians, by those in the church, he was born that he had parents, that we see that he has documentation or that he's registered to go with that. And he had a hometown. This was a real man. And the words of the angels came true in verse 21. And yet the story still goes on. So our passage really today is gonna be the story of Simeon. We're gonna look, look at Luke 2, uh, primarily verses 22 through 35. So I'm gonna read that to us and then we'll pray and we'll get kicked off here. Starting in Luke 22, or Luke 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had been revealed, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents had brought in the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and this is this final song that we hear in Luke from the mouth of Simeon. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray and then we'll hop in. God, I thank you for this child, Father, our Savior, that we gather around every Sunday and throughout the week in each other's homes. God, I thank you for the deposit of your Holy Spirit that you have given to us as your church to affirm our faith. God, we thank you for everything that you're doing in every circumstance and every heart in this room that you have gathered together to the praise of your glory and I, would, I pray that it would be for that purpose this morning that we would not be here out of duty or ritual, but because we see the beauty and we rally around this anthem of love, which is Christ, who is our savior. And we pray this in his name, amen. So probably thought we were done with Advent. We we're gonna leave that behind. Some of you have probably already packed up the lights and trees trees out on the curb, right? Our, our neighbors, day after, the lights are gone. They are done. The street is darker. And technically, you're right. We are done with Advent. Advent ends on that last Sunday or the day of Christmas, which ended on Monday this year. But I wanted to look at verse 21, which confirms who Jesus is. As everything comes to pass in his birth of the Savior, and as Patrick preached last week, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I think if you need a snapshot of everything we're about and what the Lord has done for us and who this Christ is, go back and listen to that. It's really beautiful. And what we talked about was the scripture, which correlates very heavily to Colossians 1.16 that Cap read just now. But Philippians 2.9 was shared last week, and I want to read that that God bestowed on him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I think we could say, cut, in tape, Patrick preached that last week, right? 
And we do this every Sunday. You've heard this sermon. We don't need another Christmas sermon. And we can put our Christmas bookmark in Luke 2. And we can move on, right? And a cozy little story that would be easy to snuggle up on the recliner and turn on the Netflix fireplace, right? Drink a hot cup of something and snuggle into uh, the couch or recliner under a blanket. That's what the holiday season is all about, right? And I, I don't want to knock that. I think both of those are good. I think the story from Luke is beautiful and from the Lord. And I think cozy homes and recliners are a gift, right? But the story continues. And it's not just this story, but it's a testimony of a family, the family of Jesus about to enter into some really dark times. So much so that historians and scholars, rather than describe it as nice and cozy, they would use words like uncomfortable and scandalous. And scandalous, when used with the gospel, has always been weird to me. It just didn't fit. It seemed like it undermined it or was a word that took away. It cheapened what the gospel was to me. But if you continue in this story and see how this baby grows into a man and he affirms every prophecy ever written, and we're seeing that play out in Luke, and he leads sinners to truth, and he sets captives free, and he gives light to the darkness, and he's just demolishing political and social norms by actually loving and ministering to lowly, the lowly and the forgotten, the citizens, the, th the things that the government should have been doing for the people. He does it. And he has this most final and victorious win over sin and death. And so it was indeed a scandal. I'm gonna put the definition of scandalous up there because I think it's so perfect. Causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. That's scandalous. If any person's life caused widespread public outrage over a perceived offense, it was the life of this man named Jesus. It was perceived that he was wrong. So only perceived, not based in truth. It was their opinion. And so they, they raised that up above Christ and they made sure that he was silenced. And why? Because their own conviction and sin did not and could not compete with his perfection and grace. And so rather than use the law to draw them closer to the Lord and repent that God had always intended the law to do, they, the law drove them further away from the Lord. They couldn't even identify him when he was standing right in front of them. And so I don't want us to make that same mistake. That is the call on our lives as elders and pastors and shepherds to say, hey, wake up, pay attention, right? We don't want to make that same mistake and so every Sunday, we're going to probably do the same thing. That we don't want to show up and think that Sunday has any correlation to our relationship with the Lord necessarily, or that going through ritual, or that trying to make sure our good outweighs our bad makes us feel like we're set. And so for one more Sunday, and probably for the next 50 years, I want to look at Jesus. And specifically today, uh, this scenario, we're gonna focus on this man named Simeon that we meet here in the temple because it shines further light on the joy we have in this truly scandalous rescue story that we so often let sports or bills or wounds or relational turmoil overshadow in our lives. 
And sadly, much like the Pharisees did with the law, we let a holiday centered around a savior become our safe haven and hope rather than Christ himself. And so I wanna appeal to you and me, we're the church. I wanna say, don't let that happen. Don't let Christmas or circumstances dictate your faithfulness, nor let anything else cheapen this gospel message. And so this is a moment at the end of the year, stepping out of Christmas and into a season that symbolizes goals and growth to actually let God give us goals and grow us to redeem that. And to, for a moment, maybe stop focusing on ourselves and rather be more like Simeon or Mary or Joseph or Elizabeth or Zachariah or the shepherds that are humbled under the weight of the news that has been shared with them that this savior has come and that their prayers have been heard, that God is near and he is making things new. And maybe that the story doesn't center around just me and you. And I think if we can rest in, in that idea this morning, that idea is actually quite freeing. It's for our good and it's beautiful news. Even in the midst of great trials for these people or your own pains and struggles in this room because we're going through them. We've talked this week, the last few months, it's hard. But even as we face that, the reality is that Christ is still the hope in our hearts or as Simeon says, the consolation, the prize of Israel, everything that Israel and every man has ever longed for. And so Simeon will end his words to Mary as we just read with some pretty hard truth, but it's saturated in deep joy and freedom. And so if we're looking at that text, Luke 2, 21 through 35, it starts in verse 21 with eight day old baby Jesus which was customarily the proper Jewish day for a newborn male to be circumcised. And circumcision in our culture generally is just a weird thing to talk about publicly. We, just, we don't sit around and talk about circumcision. That's weird. But biblically, we just can't get away from it. And so if you've been with us at Christ Church, it's just a word that is there almost every, every sermon because Paul talks about it, Moses talks about it, Abraham talks about it, God himself, Jesus talks about it. But it's this idea, and y'all know it, it's this cutting, but it's a symbol symbolizing a cut from the pagan world and in turn submitting to the one true God. And at the same time, this cutting was an acknowledgement that we are sinful. So much like any other covenant in the Old Testament that required an animal to be sacrificed or blood to be shed for a sin, this ritual on this eighth day was to display a people that were willing to give up worldly ideas or idols or desires in, in submission to the Lord, regardless of pain, discomfort that it brought, because it's pretty painful and discomforting, right? But as you know the story, this baby that is undergoing this process will go on to save the world. And he spends 33 years of his life on earth and does nothing wrong. He is spotless, blameless, perfect. And so as I'm studying this, I had to ask, so why does a perfect baby need to go through a ritual meant for a sinner, right? He wasn't a sinner and he needed no sacrifice. 
This was a symbolic submission to God because even circumcision didn't prove a man's heart for the Lord. And yet this man was God. He was already proven by the angels and will later be proven by God himself. So why does Jesus need to do this at all? And the simple answer is what was preached last week, that Jesus came to model faithfulness and obedience and submission to God. It's for our benefit. And so as we're reading through this, I want to just point out three things, take us a little bit deeper into this story in Luke. Um, These two scenarios, so we have two, and I don't want to confuse those. In verse 21, we've got this, he brings him to the temple on day eight to be presented um, for circumcision. And then days later, weeks later, we have this other scenario in 22. So the first thing that I want to point out is Jesus was still human. He was a man. And the law of God required all men to go through that process that he experienced on day eight. It was just that though. It's symbolic. Going through the ritual of law does not prove a man's faithfulness or his heart towards the Lord, but God always looks at the heart. And yet a ritual such as this was a sacrifice, so it was intended to be an outward sign of the internal condition. And so here again, we have Mary and Joseph have taken the proper steps in line with their God and faith as to continue to say, as Mary did earlier on in Luke that we read, let it be to me according to your word. So whatever you want of me, Lord, I'll do it, whatever it takes. And so regardless if Jesus was perfect, he was still human, 100%. So therefore, to be entirely submissive to God's law, he goes through this process as a man under the law. Secondly, if I'm looking at this, if his parents did not do this for Jesus, then they would have been at fault. And so the fault did not fall into the hands of the baby. The baby's not making that decision, right? But the finger would have been pointed at Mary and Joseph if they did not go through this. And so the first ritual of circumcision was for a male child on day eight. In modern day Judaism, they call this Brit Mila. It's it's actually quite fascinating. I was kind of joking with Kelsey, but just talking through all the history that is surrounded about this process, and it has affected history. It's crazy just how many wars and persecutions have started because of this little thing that God has called men into. And uh, it's affected things like the Maccabean Revolt, which has led to the holiday that we probably don't know much about, but we call Hanukkah. There's, There's just a rich history surrounded about this because, but it's seemingly odd and uncomfortable. It's this weird command that the Lord has for us. And yet we find Mary and Joseph, they're submitting to the Lord in this by following the letter of the law, not to just be in good standing with their culture, But as Mary would go on to say at the news of being with child, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on my humble estate. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So all of that to say that when we read this account, It is an intro into what obedience looks like from really normal people that desired to honor God with everything that they had. 
And then thirdly, as I look at this, if we move on from verse 21 into verse 22, really verse 25, where he's presented at the temple, probably on day 40, 41, which was custom, we find this character, Simeon. Joseph here presents Jesus before the priest, which the text said customarily would be a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. That's where we get, you know, two turtle doves. That's, this is part, that's it, right? This is custom. That song is based on a lot of these rituals or has ties to it. Verse 21 was day eight of Jesus's life. Verse 22 is many weeks later. It was custom for a woman who had given birth to wait 40 days before she was ceremonially clean. And actually that's just scientific. That still works to this day, how the body works and God made us. And so they bring their presentation or purification day sacrifice of two birds. But the actual offering for the first male in the family is to be presented with a spotless lamb. So I had to ask why, I had to go research. Why, why did he bring birds? I thought it was a lamb. That's not in our text, but if we dig into this a little bit, the second offering for one who could not afford a lamb would be two turtle doves or two pigeons. So most likely Mary and Joseph were just poor. They didn't have enough money. So if they could not afford it, they brought the secondary offering. When I'm reading upon that law, my mind immediately flashes back to this section in Genesis 15. It's one from a, a, just a very young age. My dad taught, he's here today, uh, he Sunday school teacher. And this passage in uh, Genesis 15, he would speak about how Abraham from the Lord is called to bring the sacrifice and he splits these animals open. God puts Abraham in this deep sleep and he begins to show Abraham what he's going to do for him. And this sacrifice, as God's walking through this bloody trough, this sacrifice is going to be taken care of by the Lord. And essentially, to boil down this story, that God is saying, regardless of how this goes for you, Abraham, I'm telling you that I will hold up your end of the deal or my end of the deal. Both will be on my shoulders. And he walks through there and he declares over Abraham and his people that he will secure them forever. And this blood covenant that God takes on himself, knowing that Abraham won't be able to uphold the end of the deal. Already in Genesis, within the first few chapters, we see Christ, that he will enter into this fight. He was going to be a necessary process or a part of this process. So when I read that Mary and Joseph can't even afford the costly lamb that the ritual of purification required on day 40, that in their poverty and inability to provide the best sacrifice that that day at the temple required, the beauty here is that they had already brought into the temple the spotless lamb, right? How beautiful is that and how rich that he was already there and Abraham couldn't even fathom at the time that it would not only be for his offspring, but one day would be extended through the grace of the Lord to the Gentiles, to the pagans, as Old Testament says, to the dogs. And you know who that is? That's us. And that's why scripture says, and Simeon even says it in his words, that a great light has been shown in the darkness. And so all of Luke is building to this point. And the Christ child is here and he is being presented on day 40. And yet before he can even be presented, 
before they can even show the child to the priest, the whole reason they came into the temple, this random old man swoops in and takes the baby. I've taken candy from my kids and almost got beat up. So I imagine some of you would throw some hands if some old man just snatched up your baby, right? The text says that he was just a man living in Jerusalem who was named Simeon. The only other details we know about Simeon is that he was righteous and devout. And the text goes on to say in Luke 2:25, if you have that open, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. God had revealed to Simeon that he would live long enough to see this day of redemption. He would see the Lord's Christ. And the day Simeon had been longing for had come. And the way the text is written, it seems as though Simeon had not just been waiting for a, a few months or years, but possibly decades. We don't know. He wasn't a priest that we know of. He wasn't a temple guard. He probably wasn't a pastor or a clergy, nor a ministry team leader or an elder or temple staff, as far as we know. But what we do know, he was just a devout older man, most likely a husband, probably a grandfather at this point that had been changed by a visit from the Lord so many years ago. And he held on to that, onto that. The text says the spirit indwelled this man and led him into the temple at just the right time. I was listening to uh, R.C. Sproul. He's a theologian, preacher, teacher. He passed away about six years ago. John and I were talking through that in the cabin the other day. And as I was listening to Sproul, he said, I just imagine Simeon was just super weird, just super weird. He's like, it's not in the text, but I just see this man that has this encounter with the Lord and he becomes consumed with it. All he can do is focus on the Lord and declare his praises. And that kind of man so empowered by the Lord annoys and convicts people to their core. And God's spirit leads him into the temple that day. And after he gives this blessing or this final song over Jesus, Luke 2.33 says, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. If you go on in the story from here, it gets more and more uncomfortable. And the cozy Christmas story becomes more and more scandalous than it does cozy and comfortable. Life for... Mary and Joseph would be super difficult. You can go pick that up in Matthew 2 if you hop over there. It's a good an account to go with Luke 2. And so I just want to challenge you as we head into this year, the temptation is going to be, it is there already, to head right back into the traps of new diets, to going out big, to working harder, to working out even harder, to being people that are just like Mary and Joseph, right? But here's the deal. Simeon was a regular man that God moved in his heart and he listened to God. That's where his power came from. 
Mary and Joseph, they were nobodies. They were poor from a town that nobody really knew. They were young in age with no social authority or power. And God blessed them, but also called them into some really difficult things. That even Simeon turns to Mary and Joseph and says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall. Difficulty. But the rising life, good, of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And so you know how this story ends. The beautiful baby that the parents presented in the temple that day, they carried him into and out of Egypt to escape Herod so that they could watch him grow up into a man, and then he is hung on the cross for crimes he never committed, right? And so when you hear these words from Simeon, if you look at that, it says a sword will pierce through your own soul. You already feel the pain that Mary is about to, to experience as she sees her son up on the cross and he's hung and he's ridiculed and it's not fair. And when the soldier comes and he pierces the side of Jesus to secure his death, Mary's own soul is pierced that day. And the words of Simeon come true that he predicted over 33 33 years before that. And so on this, this picture, this hill of Golgotha, the place of the skull that symbolizes where Jesus died and death, Simeon's words pierced deep that day as he spoke to Mary and Joseph. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus came to reveal hearts. He brings everything into light. Simeon describes him in this way as salvation and a light. And so there's no neutrality. It's light and darkness, good and bad, that there's no neutrality that comes with this baby on Christmas. And this baby, this hope of the nation still to this day leads people either to their own death or to life in the Lord. And with Jesus... There's no sitting on the fence. There's no neutral. He is life or he is death. 1 John 5, 11 through 12 says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in the son, in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's the hope of Advent. This message that we preach every week, this gospel, the reason that Jesus showed up on Christmas Day, he brings life. And so the prayer is that we would be able to fully embrace this birth, this birth story. Excuse me. So that even through our own waiting and pain and joys and hopes, that we would be like Simeon that experienced the same the joy of waiting and the pain of waiting, that we would be so consumed with God's word, even if it makes us look like fools to the world, even if it makes us look really weird, that we would be set apart from the world, that there would be a cutting of ties to the world, that our life and our words would lead people into the company of Jesus. And so I pray today, as we get to sing and partake in communion and why we gather here, that we would embrace 
the Son fully and completely because whoever has the Son has life. Okay, let's pray. God, I thank you for this truth. I thank you for the richness of this story. I thank you for preserving this text for our benefit. My mind reflects on all the (coughs) testimonies that go into this. And so much of this had to come through the life of Mary. As I think about Jesus was a baby, so he doesn't recall these details. We don't know where Joseph ended up. Elizabeth and Zachariah were probably long gone at this point. The disciples hadn't met Jesus at this point. Simeon was older, most likely. And so Mary gets to ponder these things in her heart. And I pray that that would be us, that we would ponder these things in our heart as we see your goodness over our lives and the grace that you continue to rain down on this church. That God, you would be our savior, that Christ would be central and the focus, that as we hurt, as we're struggling in this room this morning, that you would be our God. That as we rejoice in the good things that we see in our kids or family or work or health or whatever's going on this morning, that you would receive all glory. We thank you for what you're doing here. And we pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamlin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.